I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another podcast of the Guardians of Grace Ministry. I'm here with Mark. Hello, everyone. And Bill. My Hello again, Bill. everyone. Good to be here, Steve. Yes. Mark. These are the two gentlemen that are going to be here with me, sharing the Word of God in the spirit that goes along with that Word. And I want to do a little recapping of what we had learned in the previous podcast. One thing that we had learned was that we're actually not under the law, but under grace. We looked at those verses that said you are no longer a slave because you're not under law, but under grace. The Romans 7, 7, you've been released from the law. The Romans 10, 4, Christ is the end of the law for the believer. We looked at the verses that clearly told us we are not under the law. And then we looked at verses that showed warnings about putting yourself under the law. And then we looked at verses that showed why there is warnings and it taught us about this law of dynamics called the law of sin and death. And it showed about how human effort does not produce any good thing. Like Paul said, I see no good thing in me that is in my flesh or my human nature. I see no good thing, only the sin dwells in me. And we saw that we have a human nature that we should not use to live the Christian life, nor should we put ourselves under the law to live the Christian life, but we should not use that human nature, but we should use the divine nature, which as we saw when we were studying Romans 7, it was the law of dynamics of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It was depicted as a principle, a law of dynamics again. Well, today, I think we want to look at our two natures as two natures, our human nature and our divine nature. And we'll just go over the verses as we always do. We just point to verses that make the point. Well, I think that's what we're going to do again today, and we're going to expose the idea of our two natures, our human nature and our divine nature. So with that in mind, we'll start this podcast. And oh, I see, Bill, did you did you want to make a comment? I was just saying sometimes it's called the new nature, or sometimes it's called the divine nature, which you just said. Right. And when you said it, it reminded me of Second Peter 1, where he talks about participating in the 
divine nature through these very great and precious promises. And he makes a distinction between we don't participate in the divine nature through the law. We participate through promises of the Spirit. Amen. That he's going to deliver us. If we're under the law, we're going to participate in our old nature because as we saw in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the power of sin is in the law. I was trying to find that verse in 1 Peter. I, let me see. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of, of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's 2 Peter 1, 2. For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. It's another grace plus nothing verse. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these precious promises, he has granted to us his magnificent promise so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. There you see that here it's saying the divine nature provides us everything to live the godly Christian life, to shine as Christians. As opposed to what Paul said in Romans 7, I see that no good thing dwells in my human nature. Only the evil exists in my human nature. As we saw, it masters him and makes him embarrass himself all the time. So we're going to look at these two natures. I just want you to see how saturated the Bible is because a lot of times you'll hear pastors say, oh, the Bible's replete with no free will or something like that, and it's not in there. They never show a verse. If we say it's replete in the Bible, we're going to back it up with Bible verses, and we don't have to go far to see these Bible verses because we can stay right here in Romans because after Paul was saying in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who will separate me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, all the requirements of the law will be fully met by those of us who do not walk according to human effort, but walk according to the Spirit's power. That would be the human nature in the spirit right there. But then it goes on in Romans 8, 5 to tell us to depict these two natures as the mind of the flesh or the mind of the spirit, the mind of the human nature or the mind of the spirit. And Mark, do you have that by chance? I think you're looking at it. Romans 8, 5. Yeah. For those who are in accord with the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are in accord with the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Pretty simple principle. Keep going. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Keep going. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, but is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I'll kind of go over that passage and paraphrase it a little bit because it's actually saying the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace and the mind controlled by the flesh has that feeling of death. The mind controlled by the flesh or the human nature sets its thoughts on things of the human nature. 
Why? Because it's controlled. And the reason I'm using the idea of it being controlled, because in the Greek, it's the passive voice. That means that it's the mind that's being controlled by either the human nature or the spiritual nature. So that would the, make verse 7 make sense where it says, because the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. See, the mind of the flesh, though it tried for 2,000 years, the Israelite nation tried to please God. They tried and tried and tried to be pleasing to their God who did all kinds of miracles for them. They wanted to. Same with Paul. Paul said, I joyfully concur with the law, even though I'm not doing it, even though I'm doing the very evil I hate to do and not doing the good that I want to do. It's all showing one picture that the human nature, as much as it tries, cannot please God. Not even able to do so. Not even able to do so. It tries so hard, but it just can't. Yeah, the, the effort's there, but it's just not able to. I mean, I remember the people in front of Joshua just saying, yeah, we'll do it. Every one of them, yeah. And Joshua is saying, no, you're not going to be able to. That's a great illustration, Mark. I was thinking of that. Look at verse 8, Mark, in 8.8. Eight. Yeah. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And everyone is in the flesh without the Spirit. And they the can. reason they couldn't, the Spirit was a promise, not yet delivered. Paul brings that out in Galatians 3 where it says they did have the supreme gift being declared righteous, but they didn't yet have the spirit to them. So Abraham, who lived before, even before the law, was declared righteous, and even the the Israelites were declared righteous. They didn't know it, but they were. But they didn't yet have the spirit to exercise this righteousness. So I think of even the disciples with Jesus... They were denying and sleeping on him all the time. I mean, they just they just could not be empowered to stay with him. And didn't Jesus said the the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak? Oh yeah, he did say that. Yeah, right. point blank, saying the exact same thing that you guys are talking. We, yeah, you guys are talking about. Even John in chapter fifteen said, "Abide in me, and I am you." Because apart from me, you can do nothing. The human nature in and of itself doesn't produce anything. Actually, uh, Isaiah 64, isn't it? Says all our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's what the human nature says. We produce what amounts to filthy rags. We do have a however. However, amen. Chapter 8, verse 9, maybe Mark. (laughs) However, (laughs) you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And the good news, it does. The spirit dwelling in you is literally means to, to be at home. And it means the same thing as the mind of the spirit is what it means. So we do have the mind of the spirit when we're dwelling on the Spirit, when we're dwelling on what we have in us versus when we're focused on our human effort to try and keep a law. So dwelling on the law produces sin, futility, frustration, and no good fruit. But dwelling on the Spirit 
is the same as the mind set on the spirit, which is life and peace. Do you want to go to 1 Corinthians 2? Anyone have? Okay. Another classic example of our two natures. Absolutely. Let's go there. Because 1 Corinthians 2 has the two natures, two wisdoms again. So other people talk about replete. We are demonstrating repletation right now. 1 Corinthians 2, could we get Mark to read 6, starting at verse 6? Yes. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they understood it, they would have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the human heart, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Okay, thank you. So, none of this wisdom before the cross, that's what it's talking about. None of this wisdom was revealed before the cross, meaning a couple reasons, but to stay on subject. None of this wisdom had been given to the rulers and authority, basically who, would, who was in charge of Israel and the, the law, the scribes and Pharisees. But none of this wisdom had been given to them, for to us God revealed this wisdom through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among people knows the thoughts of a person except the spirit of the person in him so also the thoughts of god no one knows except the spirit of god so the spirit of man knows the thoughts of man and the spirit of god knows the thoughts of god so with that being said how in the world can you know the thoughts of god unless you have the spirit of god and that's what he's saying we have the spirit of god so we can know god's thoughts God's thoughts are the gospel, Steve. They are his thoughts towards us. They are the power of God in, in Romans 1.17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God reveals reveal. from Amen. faith to faith. And Amen. what that means is out of God's spirit into our spirit or out of God's thoughts into our thoughts. These thoughts of God become our thoughts and they're powerful these thoughts are called the wisdom of god for the wisdom of god is foolishness to man but it's powerful to us who are being saved where is the wise man where is the scribe where is the debater of this age has not god made foolish the wisdom of this world for in the wisdom of the world, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God Isn't or experience amazing? God. So, verse 10, verse 11. For who among people knows the thoughts of a person except the spirit of the person that is in him? And I'm, I know I'm repeating, but so also the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world. We already had that spirit, right? Mm-hmm. That spirit kept everything hidden from us. Here's a but. But the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things 
what, Steve? Freely given, given to us. us. Not the things we earned. That's no. the wisdom of the world, or also the mind of the flesh. Yeah, it is. You're right on on that. How about verse 14? Yes, dig it. But the natural man, which is the mind of the flesh, the mind of the world, the wisdom mm-hmm. of the world. Our human intellect. Does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's incompatibility. Natural thoughts and spiritual thoughts are incompatible. You have to have a 8-track tape player to play an 8-track tape. Bad analogy, but dating it's a good myself. Analogy. It's a good, <laughs> good analogy. It is. You have to have the mind of the Spirit to, to do that. You have to have the mind of the Spirit, meaning you have to have the Spirit of God. You have to have His thoughts that become our thoughts, and then we're led by the Spirit with His thoughts, yeah, which can are you, not hostile. Can you imagine trying to read the Bible stuck in our own human intellect? That's how come I couldn't understand it for 15 years. I kept trying to figure it out, humanly speaking. It's almost like trying to read a Bible written in German when you only speak English. It, very much so. about that much opportunity. Yeah. You can read it, but it's meaningless to you. That's why you and I always seem to memorize all these obscure verses, because these obscure verses have meaning to us. We don't just read over them. No. They're powerful. Let's see. Can I go to 15? Yes, sir. But the one who has, who is spiritual discerns all things. So what does that mean, the one who is spiritual? Yep. It, it just means the person that's operating in the mind of the spirit. In, it's not two different people. No. It, it's you when, when you're using the mind of the spirit. Exactly. But the person who is under, unspiritual is the same you, but with natural the natural mind. Yes. Yeah. But the one who is spiritual, that's you using the mind of the spirit, discerns all things, yet he himself is discerned by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he <laughs> will instruct him? Pretty audacious. Yeah, yeah. Look at this, Steve. But, but we have what? The, the mind of, of Christ. Christ. Wow. Amen. We have the mind of Christ to study the Bible with. That means we can be spiritually minded. We can be spiritually minded. And what did it say to be spiritually minded is? Life and peace. Amen. What is natural minded or carnally minded? Oh, that feeling of nakedness, pure shame, the feeling that you just want to die. And do you see how that you're not trying to say... That person is a spiritual person, and that person is a carnally-minded person. You mean like Joe's spiritual and Bill isn't? Oh, I mean, uh, Jack isn't? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's two natures in one person. Two natures. See, that... I read it for 20 years as two different people, and I didn't realize that they were synonymous illustrations of the same thing, the good tree, the bad tree, the sheep, the goats, they were all telling me using word pictures about the two natures, the good man, the bad man. They were both in the same person, me. 
That's why it says, you foolish Galatians, after beginning in the spirit, are you trying to attain the goal by human nature? Mind of the flesh. The mind of the flesh. After beginning with the mind of the spirit, which we just defined as knowing the thoughts of God, the wisdom of God. Once I began to register to me that the Bible was showing me about the two natures, I began to see it everywhere. And once I began to see it everywhere, I began to understand what the Bible was teaching in that particular piece of text that I was reading, because I was no longer looking at it as Joe's good and Jack's not. I was looking at it as my human nature, try as it may, can't do the good, and my divine spirit in me can do it. And the verses just began to interpret themselves. Such as, can you give us some of these uh, examples of verses that began to interpret themselves in a different way with the two natures? Yeah, I think I can. I think I can. I would say, for one, let's look at Matthew chapter 7. That would be a classic example. Is that the good tree and the bad tree? Yeah, it is, now that you mention it. Well, let's look at the good tree and the bad tree, because I used to think that that was Joe and Jack, and I'll show you why I don't think it's Joe and Jack anymore, but it is indeed the two natures. Such as Joe is a good tree and Jack's bad bad tree. tree. Yes. Do you want to go there? Yeah, that's great, because it's going to illustrate its two natures we're looking at, not two people yes sir okay then we'll do it all right so here we are in matthew matthew chapter 7 to be specific okay starting in let's say verse 15 beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly their ravenous wolves you know them by their fruits Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree produces bad. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. I used to believe that Joe was a good tree and Jack was a bad tree. Now I believe it's the two natures that we're talking about because there's some verses that had the idea of Joe being a good person and Jack not being a good person. There's some verses that headed off at the past. I actually can't justify that train of logic anymore because of passages like Romans 3.10. Do you remember Romans 3.10? There is none who does good. There is no one good. No, not one. They're all bad. And on and on it goes about them saying that no one's good. Paul said, no good thing dwells in me. That is in my human nature. There's the nature part. 
But those verses, you, you remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do? Good teacher, what must I do what to inherit things? eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. From God's point of view, there's none good. Joe never existed. There is no Joe. There's no Joe and Jack's a bad person. Joe being a good person because there's none who does good, no, not one, Romans 3.10. And Paul said, in my human nature, I can't do the good. I only do the evil that I don't want to do. So once I'd been turned on to those verses, I could no longer justify the idea of thinking of certain people as good and certain people as bad and go around judging everybody because there was also a bunch of verses that said, don't judge people that way, but you can judge their fruit. Jesus himself was saying, you, you'll know them by their fruit. And I can judge between the fruit of the spirit which is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, self-control, or fruit or works of the flesh, which is envy and drunkenness and carousing and, and strife and everything that you don't like about yourself. That was in the human nature. The good man is the good man inside of me. Yeah. That's what the conclusion I came to. It was never talking about different people. And I began to not be scared by these passages. They Do you actually... see how Jesus hit it, though, Steve? Because he put it in the parable. And a lot of times we think parables are, to be clear illustrations, they're actually meant to hide things. And it was God's wisdom that was, no one knew that. It, was he, it said Jesus spoke in parables so that seeing they would not see, in hearing they would not understand hearing they would not hear and understanding they would not understand so he gave the wisdom in the parable of the the good tree and the bad tree but no one saw it but nobody saw it and it took me a long time to see that i had to rule out john and jack as good people and i had to substitute that with the idea that my human nature doesn't produce the good because paul verbatim said that he said my human nature doesn't produce the good but my spiritual nature does produce the good how much clearer does it get than that but that was a classic example of verses that began to interpret themselves once i understood the idea of two natures because i even though i could see that there was none good no not one i still couldn't put it together until I got the revelation that this Bible is teaching us about two natures. It never taught us about two natures in the old covenant, but in the new covenant, that's the cornerstone of... You mean it's the cornerstone concept of the new covenant. I think that's what you mean. Yeah, exactly, Bill. You, you gave me the... I couldn't think of the words. It's the cornerstone concept of the new covenant. The whole new covenant is, is built on this idea of the two natures. Yeah, you know what? It speaks for itself in Hebrews chapter 8. You want to just go there? Sure, sure. Let's do it. Yeah, this is cool. We're on track now, Bill. We're on track now. How about... Do you want to read it? Yeah, I'll read it. Maybe we'll start in verse 7, speaking about the, the old covenant and the new covenant. Verse 7, For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought 
for another. But God, finding fault with the people, said... So what did God find fault with, Steve? Why did he... In other words, what was the fault with the first covenant? It says he found fault with the people. They couldn't handle their end of the new covenant. And it was because of this sin principle in Romans 7. That was the secret to why they couldn't handle the old covenant. Do you realize the first covenant was the covenant to find fault? That's actually what it was, Bill. It was to find fault to make us feel bad? Not really. It was to put no confidence in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil like Adam found out. It was to put their confidence back in the tree of life, which is a picture of Christ, which is a picture of the spirit within us. So verse 7 again, I'll start over again. Go, Bill, go. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another cup. But God found fault with the people and said that Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. Huh. It sounds a lot like it today. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What people are calling the new covenant sounds a lot like the old covenant. It is. I think it is. I think there's a lot of leaven. That's a clue. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it says it will what not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when he led them out of Egypt. So it shouldn't look like the old covenant. Led them out of slavery. Yep. It's a picture for us. Mm-hmm. They were still slaves. But they were still slaves. To sin. A different type of slave. Not yeah. a slave to another nation, but... To like, their human nature. Like Jesus said... Anyone the son sets free is free, free indeed. indeed. And they said, we're not slaves of anybody. And he said, anyone that commits a single sin is a slave to sin. Yes, because of the sin principle in Romans 7. It makes you do it. It's in there. And he says, it will not be like the first covenant when I made with their ancestors, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. Nor could they. The mind of the flesh can't please God. See? The same thought. Yeah. They couldn't keep it. They just didn't know about the idea of the mind of the flesh. That was hidden to them. They thought in their own determination they were to please God. They said as much. Yes. They all committed to the famous Joshua passage. Yes. Far be it from us to serve other gods. We will serve the God of our father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Joshua said, you know what? You can't. You can't serve them. He's too holy. He won't forgive your sins. And they said, yeah, but we will. We will serve God. And he said, you're going to be witnesses against yourself. And from that point on. Set up a little pillar of rock to, to remind them. Yeah. From Joshua 24 till you get to the New Testament, all you read about is the futility of Israel trying in their own strength to please God. Yeah, that was the old covenant. And it had its purpose in showing you that you cannot. Yes. There's some good news coming. Yeah, amen. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. People. <laughs> they didn't work there. <laughs> no. 
No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they all will know me from the least of the greatest. There's that word know again. Yeah, know but what experience. does it really mean? It doesn't mean what we think it is in our English. Head knowledge. No. It doesn't mean we're going to be introduced to God and shake his hand. Describes an intimate relationship. Of an faith. experiential knowledge. You actually experience him. It, it should be rendered, you, you won't have to teach them how to experience God because from the greatest to the least of them, they all will experience me. And that's what we do. We experience God when we're manifesting the spirit of God. We experience heaven on earth. And that's what the new covenant is, experiencing the spirit. Yes. That's what the mind of the spirit is. Yes. The mind of the spirit leads to a walk after the spirit or a lifestyle after the spirit. Yeah. And in Ezekiel, where he's describing the same covenant he says i will put my spirit within them you have that well matter of fact can go to ezekiel yeah i think it is worth going there let's see look at ezekiel in chapter 36 let's start in verse 24 okay god is saying i'm making a new covenant with the house of israel for I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be cleansed. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Then get a load of this. I will give you a new heart and put a spirit in you and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll be careful to observe my ordinance. Do you see? He's saying, I put a spirit in you. That's when you get born again. That's why he was talking about a whole new covenant. And in the future, we're going to study how he brought that covenant about and what all he had to do, going to the cross, going to heaven, coming back down as a spirit. There is a lot of work for Jesus to do that we need to look at and get it right in our minds. But he said, I will put a new spirit in you. That's what the new covenant was about. That's why we have to learn about these two natures, because I'm telling you, the whole new covenant is predicated on learning this concept yeah, about is. the two natures. He prophesied that we'd have to learn this concept. So I'm reminded of that in Romans 6, after Paul says, should we sin shall not be master over you because you're not under law, but under grace. And he goes on to say, shall we sin because we are not under law? another mea noia absolutely not says do you not know you're slaves of the one you obey whether it be the flesh or the spirit summarizing but then he says but thanks be to god that you used to be slaves to sin you obeyed from the heart the new heart amen this form of doctrine or teaching mm -hmm. that you were instructed and he, he's it's the same form of doctrine that he mentions in first corinthians 4 which is the way of life in Christ. It's the same thing as this form of doctrine is being led by the Spirit. It's this form of doctrine that teaches you about the two natures for the purpose of 
getting you to live by the new nature, which is the spirit. So go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, because when it comes down to it, we're going to see eventually that all the judgments are concerning the two nature. The, the great white throne judgment where we go and all our works are burned up and they produce either wood, hay, or stubble. It's because they were of a human sort or because the Spirit did those works. That's the first Corinthians 3. The 3, 10 and following, yeah. Wood, hay, and stubble? Yes. It's what the flesh produces. Silver, gold, and costly stone are what the Spirit produces. Yes, and it says, and the fire will reveal each man's work. And then it says, yet he will be saved as yet through fire. And then it says, don't you know that you are the temple and he lives in you by his spirit. That's a big clue on how to build up treasures. Big clue. You need to know. It's the whole do you not know in Romans 6 that all of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection for the purpose of walking in this new way of the spirit. And that's another topic. But but it's predicated on knowing the two natures. It is absolutely predicated on knowing the two natures, and it's actually predicated on knowing the two men, Adam and Christ. Yes, because they're depicted as the two natures. These corporate identities is what the scholars call them. Adam, who represented all people, and Jesus, who represented all people. Yeah, from 1 Corinthians 15 brings the same subject. One's called the man from heaven, and one's called the earthly man talking about two men, the first man and the second man, and the second man is also the last man. So we can see that if the second man is the last man and the first man is the first man, then there can't be a man between, there can't be a man before the first man and he still be the first man. So there can't be a man between the first man and the second man, or the second man would be the third man. And there can't be a man after the second man because the second man is also the last man. So it gives you this idea that from God's point of view, there's two natures and two men, two corporate men, Adam and Christ, flesh and spirit. In fact, the name Adam actually means mankind from the earth. Yeah. Yeah. And you just alluded to a minute ago that Romans 6, where it says we were all baptized into Christ Jesus. It says, knowing that the old man was Crucified. It's literally the old man of, of us, us. Yes. was crucified. That old man part of us, because it, in Ephesians 4.22, it says, take off the old man who's corrupt and put on the new man who's made in the image of God. The old man, new man, the, the two natures, again, depicted as that Adam and Jesus as corporate people. Adam, the people that were born of Adam are considered the old man. People that are born of the spirit are considered the The new man. man. It is all synonymous. I'm telling you, it's all synonymous and it's teaching us about our two natures because to live in the new covenant, you have to know about them or you'll be confused, man. You'll be confused. Isn't that the whole new covenant is predicated, then Paul say, or do you not know? Yes. He says, shall we continue in literally the sin of Adam? Shall we continue in the sin? Absolutely not. Or 
do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death and his burial, his resurrection, for the purpose of putting away the old man, knowing this, that the old man of us was crucified. That's what he's telling us in Romans 6, 1, 6, 2, 6, 3, 6, 4. 6, 5, 6, 6, and 6, 7, is that Adam, you were put to death in Adam through the body of Christ. That's Amen. also, by the way, how you got released from the law. Amen. 7, 4 says that the law has authority over a person only as long as he lives. So it says you died through, do you not know that you died through the body of Christ? Well, evidently, 6, 1, 6, 2, 6, 3, 6, 4, 6, 5, 6, Six and six, seven all say that we died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. Then they say that we were raised up as a new man, which is the spirit man. And all this is in God's eyes, and we're expected to believe that. And do you know why Paul started giving the people in Rome that revelation about these two natures and what happened to them, that the old man of us died on the day that Christ died. We can do some podcasts on that subject. Believe me, we can do some huge podcasts on that subject, and we will, but for now, we're just alluding to these guys, so bear with us. But the question that was posed to Paul was, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? How about that? What a stupid question. Paul answers with a fantastic revelation. He doesn't give them the, no, you shouldn't answer. You should try harder. You should try harder. You should rededicate. You should get accountability partners or get my book, get my new book, or purpose to tell them you don't want HBO when you go to a hotel room. Don't forget the WWJD bracelet. Yeah, the WWJD <laughs> The WWJD bracelet. You know what he actually asks? Don't you know? Yeah. He asked the people that said, what should we send that grace may abound? He said, don't you know these things? Because you have to be ignorant to have asked that question. It's basically, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but that question is actually a pretty ignorant question to the new covenant believer. And I really don't mean to offend people because there's people that are scared to death about the idea of grace. And this is, is not something we treat lightly. We want to teach what the Bible says about not being under law, but under grace, because the Bible teaches us things about not being under law, but under grace that you don't hear in the modern day pulpit. The modern-day pulpit is not teaching you the things that the Bible teaches. So us at Guardians of Grace, we want to point to Bible verses as we always drill in your heads that we're going to point to Bible verses, and those Bible verses are going to explain fantastic things to us. And a lot of the things that the Bible points out to us, we have to accept by faith, like the idea that the old man of us died, because that was what God saw when Christ died. There's a, a whole lot to that little statement. Actually, did two years of Bible study with somebody on that statement. 
That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. 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 So hopefully you do realize, I mean, we showed classic examples of our two natures. We, we showed you that those. You should be able to read the Bible and see many, many more illustrations of our two natures now that you're turned on to the idea. Because I hate to say this, but the Bible is replete with teachings about the old and new nature. And all the New Testament is predicated on this one concept that we have two natures. So I know that some of you are out there going, this is fantastic. You expect me to believe this? Yeah, we do expect you to believe. That's our ministry. We will live and die by expecting you to believe in the invisible man that lives in you. I know it sounds like foolishness, but that's what 1 Corinthians said. The foolishness of the gospel is what he chose to save us through. I've even heard people say that teachings on the two natures is dangerous. I Well-meaning people, too. That, that's what yeah, I say. Yeah. We don't take this lightly. It's well-meaning people that don't understand the Bible. And if you're one of those people and you're having a hard time swallowing what we're saying, I just ask that you, you hang in there. Give us a chance. Share some Bible verses with you and see if it doesn't begin to make sense. Please, please don't dismiss us yet. Amen. Thank you, Steve. And more to come on the two natures. Uh, we said it's replete and we intend to add to the repletion that we've already started. We will back that up. We'll back up everything we said with scriptures. Uh, true. Because it's never us saying it. Right. Bust us if we don't. We, we look forward to your emails and, and your critiques. Anything that you need to feel you need to, any comments that you feel you need to make, send them in because we would much, much appreciate them. We love you guys. That's for sure. We love you guys and we hope that you'll keep coming back because we've just scratched the surface. We've got so much to tell you. There's so much bubbling up inside of Bill and I that we can't contain it. If we don't have this podcast, we're going to burst. And we just thank you for, for listening. You can't imagine how big of a favor that is to us. And we won't try to convince you of anything. We'll just point to verses and let you read them, I promise. So in Jesus' name, I pray that we could all take root in this biblical revelation that was hidden throughout the generations that Israel was trying to please God under the Mosaic law. The concept that was now revealed through the apostles, I please pray that you take root in that concept. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.